Ramble. Welcome once again to the Tripod, the comedy podcast, the the award-winning, the Webby Award-winning comedy podcast that is slowly becoming more and more about how civilization is crumbling all around <laughs> us. You know, we had a pandemic, uh, now we have what is a, a a much better thing that is, you know, well, it's it's we're finally facing against all the bad things. Uh, in this country, slowly but surely. And I think we're starting to see change this week, which is very inspiring, right? We've seen a lot of good things happening, but I I also know we got to keep on going. We got to keep on fighting the big old fight. You know, we, you, we used to get excited about YouTubers fighting each other. Now we're excited <laughs> about people fighting systemic oppression. And that's just as enthralling. You know, they should both be pay-per-views. They're thrilling things to watch and see. <laughs> I'm imagining Keith getting the microphone at a protest, and he's like, "All right, guys, keep on going, keep on doing it." I'm imagining the like the hype package of somebody fighting systemic oppression. Oh yeah. wow, <laughs> it's been it's been a big week full of protests. I know we've uh, been able to to go to some. I know we've been contributing to uh, to funds for you know both for people who have lost loved ones from police to people who are wrongfully jailed for protesting. There's been some crazy shit going on, y'all. Keith, we raised $25,000 in our video this weekend. That was huge. So exciting. Um, Thank you to all of our viewers who uh, donate to that fundraiser. That's very awesome. And we love love that our fans, uh, I think... Uh, are on the right side of this movement, which is very inspiring to us. I had somebody say that they were unfollowing me or they were going to uh, stop watching my content because they, the, I was entertainment. And, uh, you know, they're, they're some stupid person. I don't mind losing them. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's just... Get uh, out of here. It's like, whatever, you know. Well, do you want to start there? Because it's one of the things that we've been wondering and thinking about is how do you communicate your message to people uh, right. in a way that reaches them as opposed to going into your own echo chamber. And you had a specific experience there, Keith, with with you just, I think you've been very gracious, but you started fighting one person. Yeah, I fight a couple people. Well, I actually only long, like do long threads back and forth with the people if I think they're actually not a troll and they are a person who mm. is, has incorrect beliefs. If you're a troll, if I go and look and like, you're clearly just writing mean things everywhere, I'm like, well, I'll just block you. You're not worth it. But yesterday this is just very funny there's a woman named deborah i fully believe that is who she is and she is a real person and not a bot um and she doesn't like what i've been posting on twitter but instead of responding to any of the tweets that i've posted she went to my retweet if you love corn diddy pin tweet and commented on that <laughs> let's be clear that thread is exclusively for praise for me mm-hmm and uh, revolts against systemic racism and police brutality. That's <laughs> yeah. the only two things acceptable on that thread. But it was the the classic argument, which I really don't enjoy, which is like you're equating all the police to the actions of one, even though that person in that moment is equating all of the protesters, the action of the few looters and rioters. I responded with it. It's not. It's an entire the whole police department is built on uh, basically it was originated as, you know, keeping slaves in their place. And then it grew to be a regime that is basically just hurting minorities. And, and yeah, there's a whole lot. You can watch documentaries and I would recommend the 13th on Netflix. It's a great starting place. But, uh, I just said that, you know, like you're, that is a huge problem (laughs) and you're ignoring it and it's crazy. And then I would just like, just 
I demand anybody who has these views to give me reports that back up their views. And that is where it always stops with people. And I don't know how no one's even written fake articles that they could post, right? <laughs> they, there's no one's even written fake things that they can use for their argument's sake, or even they haven't read them because it's so easy to go and just Google, <laughs> how did this begin? And they went, oh, well, there it is. And they're like, no, it didn't. I have the facts to back it up. Where are they? Ah, you show yours. I'm like, okay. He's like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, well, you show yours. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> You, you know, Zach, you're talking about how to change someone's mind. One thing I saw the other day that I thought was a very effective technique was uh, Natalie po Portman's post on defunding the police. She started with a kind of addressing a misconception where it starts with like, you know, when I first heard the words defund the police, I have to admit I was a little scared. She kind of goes into like in the, up top addressing the kind of common misconceptions about that where it means like oh no safety blah 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 and then goes on to say all the positive things about you know putting the community first and reinvesting in communities and having all the things that police officers really shouldn't be doing having mm -hmm. other organizations do that so I, th I thought that was probably a really effective way in kind of like drawing in potentially some some of her fans that were confused and were a little on the fence about it. And, you know, I, I hope that it was very effective in changing people's minds. I think that's really smart. I, I was so I've been taking and using my my platform for activism this week and trying to figure out, yes, how can I get a message out there that I believe in in a way that doesn't just continue bouncing off the walls inside this circle that already agrees with me? And I've tried to respond with graciousness to people that that disagree with me. I, I've tried to be polite and kind and thank them for their opinion and share mine because I feel like as a white ally, that's that's what I can do, right? I, I think a lot of people are deservedly fed up and should not feel forced to have to explain their position. So me, I'm going to try and do that. And some, I've been delighted to find, have been open and receptive. Others... Just the second you offer kindness to them, their claws come out, the walls go up, and they just start lashing out. And I've found that very uh, disheartening and hurtful of like, oh, you can't, we're so entrenched that people won't even engage in a conversation. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have family members or friends? Like um, Maggie is a nurse. A lot of her nurse friends are married to police officers. That's just a a weird thing like it almost seems like a cartoon thing the police officer and the nurse married but like that <laughs> happens all the time and so we've had some really tough conversations with people that are are hurt of oh why are you guys posting all of that are, are, are you saying that my husband is a bad man um and i'm like no he's a good guy but he's part of a bad thing which makes him a bad thing and it just i don't hate him i just want to change the job that he does yeah, I've um, rescinded invites for holidays for people who are going to vote for Trump. There you go. Woo! I think there's one there's one like active thing, especially since I'm from Texas, which is going to be a pretty pivotal state in the election, yeah. which is sometimes you can't quite get them to understand whether they be older or younger or perhaps a little more um, a little less well versed on the issues every aspect of systematic racism it's hard for and it's hard for even like us it's hard for us it's hard especially for for white people to understand in a day in a week like we have to remember this is not something that you are going to get 
immediately. This is a lifelong lesson. Um, but one thing that people will get is when you tell them, if you vote for Trump, I'm never going to speak to you again. So <laughs> I have said this to a couple of a few family members um, because their votes are really important in Texas. Uh, if Texas turns blue, apparently in November, uh, the Democrats should automatically win the election. I can't even believe that's a discussion. I can't even believe that that's a possibility right now. It's blowing my mind. I donated money to the Texas Democratic Party. I'm like, let's go, baby. <laughs> let's, let's do go. it. I'm actually considering heavily to do something extremely, uh, as much as I can with my platform with other people from Texas yeah. to reach the young voters. Because a lot of the, the problem with the turnout, if you guys remember in the midterms in uh, 2018, Beto O'Rourke almost beat Ted Cruz. And that was the big, Crazy. big battle. And um, the trend is going that direction, not just because of out-of-state people who moved into Texas, but the makeup of Texas racially is going to be majority Hispanic and Latino in the next mm -hmm. few years. Like it's going to overtake the majority in terms of the uh, the ethnic breakdown. Asian Americans are the biggest growing population. There's a huge black population. So Texas, although having a very long history of conservatism and a lot of like mythology around uh, being like a bastion of the of the far right uh, is actually very um, there are certain more morals, I think, in terms of the code that go against Trumpism. And I I am uh, very hell bent on getting anyone that has a vote in that state to not vote for Trump. Yeah. So you're going with the FOMO approach. I mean, Zach. Zach's trying to change people's minds through like being super nice. And, and you're saying, I'll change their mind by making them wish they were at my party so bad. <laughs> yeah. That's a good strategy. Yeah. Eugene, you're using your kind of like your hotness and your coolness. Well, I think a caveat is that I'm older. You know, I'm in my 30s. And also the people I'm speaking to generally are older. So, you know, if you're young and listening, uh, you probably have less leverage there, like what I'm doing. But I'm at a point where I'm comfortable and safe enough to uh, posit this ultimatum, and it has worked in a lot of ways. It isn't. <laughs> it isn't working with a particular person, and that is becoming a very big sticking point. So I've actually had to take the opposite. I've had to take the opposite approach, where Eugene says you can't come to my party if you vote for Trump. I've been saying if you vote for Trump, I will come to all of your parties. I will be there, and you're going to have <laughs> mm -hmm. to deal with me, and you don't want that. So if you vote yeah. for him, you're going to be stuck with me forever. My presence is a threat. And he, Zach, does not leave. No, <laughs> yeah, I, he last guest. Yeah, yeah, you can send all the signals. He won't pick them up. Does this have <laughs> butter in it? Does this have bell peppers in it? Does this have dairy in it? Is this, is this, can I have this? Is oh, there I alcohol can't eat in this? that. <laughs> can't eat that. Well, I think we uh, should about turn in for the night, huh? How about Scrabble, anybody? <laughs> you guys want to play another round? Okay, you guys go to bed. I'm, I'm chill down here. Hey, what's your Disney Plus login? Well, uh, guys, uh, we've been uh, in the midst of this, thinking about this, uh, you know, uh, every waking minute of the day, and uh, we're in this for the long haul, baby. Uh, so we'll be obviously be talking about this for uh, weeks and weeks and months to come. Ever. Um, but as uh, you're sort of pursuing the passion of fighting systemic racism, I mean, I think it's important also, like in little moments, if the stress is too much, to hop off and relax for 10, 20 minutes, just to allow your brain the longevity of being in the fight for the long haul. How have you guys been able to do that? Because first we were kind of doing that for COVID, being like, I'm stuck inside my house, how am I relaxing? And now we're kind of fighting against a different sort of uh, of stressor. I, well, I think you're totally right. Mental health is, is very important. And Miles, for me, I don't know if you know this, but 
the the day that this podcast comes out is my birthday. Oh, happy so me! It's 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 happy, happy birthday. Bee. Happy thirty third to Mister Ned. Uh, so we actually we we rented a house this weekend. We rented a house in Ohio with a pool, oh. and we're able to kind of like, uh, kind of un like unplug and like recharge our batteries and um it was it was very very rejuvenating i also have a birthday so ned and i uh our birthday is only only a week apart so my birthday is the week following this podcast coming out but i don't know what i'm gonna do you know i typically i always liked getting airbnbs and or like going to palm springs or something um i'd still love to figure out some sort of small trip sometime also with having becky but at the same time there is still uh coronavirus out oh, there. Oh, what's that? And, Is that still happening? <laughs> yeah, it's still happening. And, you know, there's just... Uh, it It feels like... For me, the only thing worth risking coronavirus right now is fighting oppression. So I'm just like, well, I'll, I'll go to marches. I'll try to be distant. But I won't go sit in a restaurant and eat. Uh, mm-hmm. And not yet. I went to a restaurant that was open with like four tables. And I was like, oh, wow. Holy cow. It's happening. I saw one, too. I, I don't think a big birthday dinner is something I'm uh, ready to but, risk right now. The last few years, I've done Korean barbecue for every holiday. Any time I want to celebrate, whether something good happens for the Try Guys, it's my birthday, it's Christmas time, it's Thanksgiving time, don't really care. I want to do Korean barbecue because it's my favorite communal meal. Now, a communal meal, yeah, <laughs> that's the worst happen. idea. And I, I, I don't know when I'll be able to, to do that again. And it's something I will miss. Uh, but I don't know. Still don't know what I'm going to do for my birthday. Still don't know. Maybe you guys got any ideas? I mean, I, I do think renting a house is fairly low risk. So if you want a yeah. recommendation. I, I think a lot of people have birthdays or anniversaries or graduations coming up. And with the compound factors of coronavirus and uh, uh, civil revolution, right? Like uh, of mass protests across the country for civil rights. There might be feelings of guilt of, oh, maybe right now isn't the time to have fun and focus on myself. So so how are you dealing with that inner conflict? I mean, it, it was definitely tough. I felt a little guilty going and kind of just literally leaving the city. But I think it's also really important to give yourself mental space to, you know, to take care of yourself. And then that can leave you so much more focused and invigorated um, for... For the the you know coming coming days and weeks, because it's not just a, a one week fight. I mean, it's going to be going on hopefully for months and months and months and cause change that will change forever. Uh, Eugene, you famously never relax. Uh, how have you been handling this situation? <laughs> hit it on the hit the nail on the head. <laughs> I I have not relaxed. I think I might have a slightly shifted perspective mm-hmm. um, where I am invigorated by everything happening mm. i also feel like an immense amount of like even that lady was it a lady who called you out on twitter keith or tried to when she mm-hmm. said that she just wanted to watch you for entertainment was she like a, a, a karen yeah her she, she was, was a deborah a, yeah you see but, you see from people like this idea that oh i'm losing x amount of followers because of this but that should call into question this idea of why did you even have followers like that to begin with yeah. so it's really like put put me in a sense of constantly thinking about what more I should be doing and saying, um, especially as uh, you see other issues come up like 
J.K. Rowling's tweets that are trans exclusionary and anti-trans and thinking about my position as someone who is uh, trying to produce um, as much work for queer people, people of color. It's It's been both inspiring and incredibly <laughs> uh, soul-crushing. I don't know how to... It's a very unique feeling, but I guess... I mean, in a way, even like the way I when I produced my coming out video, that was probably the one of the closer feelings I've had where I felt inspired, but also like there was the weight mm. of a million things on my mm -hmm. spirit. So what do you do when you feel that weight? I shift it towards work, but I think mm. it it's appropriate because the work I'm doing is directly related to those issues. Um, and by work, I mean like, I guess the work that I, I, I'm working on that's, that I don't really talk about the 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 queer Asian oriented stuff, but I think the I think it's just good to channel it somewhere where you feel like it's being productive. If you feel like you need a moment to unplug, then that's like totally valid, and I mm -hmm. think that's what a lot of people require. I, I think for me, it's been a, a redirecting of energies and making sure that if I have any feelings that feel like they they're coming out in a scream, then maybe they're valid in their own way and need to be told through another medium. I, I've I've found myself doing a similar thing where I have been segmenting my time of social protest as my break from work. So instead of allowing myself to just be consumed by news 24-7, I've been trying to segment it to the morning, lunchtime, and, you know, a check-in in the evening where I feel like if I give myself 30 minutes or an hour to compose some thoughts to to try and teach people about the misconceptions about defunding the police, that that is something that I that makes me happy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I feel like I'm doing something positive with my time. Um, so it's actually, it's been a break from my work to feel like I'm contributing to the society at large. But right. then also at the end of the day, I, I need to shut my brain off. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, to me, that it, it, it feels like it is my work to do that. I, I mm -hmm. feel this responsibility of having a platform to try and educate people and to provide a perspective and to do research and and so I think it can it can really feel all-consuming when it can last all day or into the evening it's mm -hmm. tough right because you want to tell people that they should be allowed to disconnect and I don't mean in a grand macro sense disconnect implies apathy and and ignorance we don't want you to do that but if you are out there fighting the good fight you need balance in your life uh because as we said you need that energy for longevity if you burn yourself down to the fuse well now you've got nothing left to fight for the next day mm -hmm. uh, the the simplest explanation is becky and i after we protest typically go buy a pizza <laughs> and, and it's honestly just because like this is something we're, we're gonna go we're gonna get this pizza we're gonna go home we're both gonna shower put our clothes we were wearing in the hampers so we don't wear it because it's coronavirus and then uh we'll sit down and have pizza and wine and you know we'll, we'll still probably be talking about what we saw and sharing things but at least we're giving ourselves something we see as a treat mm -hmm. um and we've done a little more takeout since we started protesting also it's really you walk for eight miles and you go home and you think you're going to make yourself buffalo cauliflower tacos you're crazy <laughs> you, you can just tell me you're going to sit there for 25 minutes and make tortillas from scratch Keith. no you're not going to do that today you're tired <laughs> making tortillas from scratch what oh, 
always uh, once i found out how easy it was and how delicious they are is it I, easy that's, oh my god it's so easy it's what you <laughs> wait get. you got it you got it okay we'll we'll offline about a recipe because <laughs> i want to take a minute is, for it <laughs> hit us two, okay where are we gonna bring the people into Let this just, tortilla will, discussion this is a, a good moment and this is something like the coronavirus has really done for me is that i used to cook a lot and then i got too busy with work and i really stopped cooking and now because i'm home I spend normally more like two hours on dinner where I used to try to spend 30 minutes on dinner. Uh, and I just like, why not make it from scratch? I got time. So uh, it's just equal, almost equal parts water and masa harina, which is corn flour that has been treated with uh, some, some, I can't remember what it is. It's got something in it. And when you open the bag of that flour, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's tortillas. It mm. smells only like tortillas. Uh, mm -hmm. and it's just like a little more flour than water and you can put some salt in it and then you put it in a tortilla press or you roll it out and you just put it on the hottest thing you got, whether that's a cast huh. iron skillet, a normal skillet, a baking sheet, doesn't really matter. It just needs to be searing hot. You put it on there, you flip it after a minute, it gets another minute is done. And wow. they also, you put them in, in a towel and they stay hot for 30 hours. They are stay searing hot. I don't know how <laughs> it's possible, but, uh. I've been doing that. We make fish that's tacos, cool. make buffalo cauliflower, ta buffalo cauliflower tacos. You know, I think that's something that you and I share where like the act of cooking itself is a way of de-stressing. And it's been tougher once I started, we stopped cooking as much meat in the house. And that's what I used to do is my like thing. If we had people over, I'd make like a roast or something. So it's been tougher uh, <laughs> to like do that with vegetables. But we found found our way there. And now we make these really big breakfasts and even that is a good way to divide up the day and have like an hour in the middle of the day where I'm just cooking and then eating something delicious. Yeah. And then I go back into work. That was a main theme of uh, my birthday weekend was was cooking. It was sort of like I, I didn't want to go clubbing or out to a big restaurant, just like hanging out with family. And really, like most of it was it was like there would be probably two hours that we would spend preparing each meal, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> even like lunch or something. I'm just picturing COVID clubbing, which is just Ned alone in a dance floor going, Woo, six yeah! foot clubbing. Yeah. Oh I God. I, I don't, I, there's, there's I no way that. I'm going to any sort of a club or bar. Maybe they could do like a club karaoke style where there's private rooms and you go and it's like you and your three friends. And you but just go all glass walls. Ooh, yeah. call it a, <laughs> Glass house. Hey, that would be that would be pretty fun. It's gonna be would so you guys, echoey. What would you guys do? Even if it were open, would you guys feel comfortable going to like a club? Hell no. Where's your Where's your line lie? I wasn't not comfortable going to a club for first of all ever. Yeah, uh, yeah. First of all, ever. Yeah, not my scene. But I stopped going to places like bars and clubs about a month before LA shut down because just the the. The slowly approaching storm of mm -hmm. Corona was too much for me. I, I mean, well, I, I'm biased. I got my immunosuppression, so I'm, I'm staying in forever. But yeah, what is your threshold? Where, what will you go to? Certainly not clubs or bars, but that you're right. That is probably also because I don't particularly like enjoy it just in general. Yeah. <laughs> I think the issue with the bars is that from the footage you're seeing, particularly from places like Vegas, they're not observing the, the masks. And I think a lot of places I've seen as I drive by, you check in with a mask, but then you take it off when you go inside. Right. The difference with the protests is that I would say pretty much like 99.999% of every protester was wearing a mask mm -hmm. and you're outside and you're constantly you're just passing past one another. But to be in one 
isolated space with no masks on, that's tough, especially in a uh, inebriation situation. Like I think mm. the problem is once you get drunker too, those those places are for partying. Your mask going to, is coming off. Yeah. You're gonna touch other people, you're gonna talk really close to people's faces. Loud yeah. uh, spewing you're kiss saliva. You're gonna make out with everybody. Yeah, lick them. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I I would go for maybe a very contained drag show, like a as if it was theater. But I don't think I'm going to be going to any bars or clubs anytime soon, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm bummed about I, that too. I I love a good social evening. I love going uh, like I said before. I love going to a restaurant where we're all like sharing, and 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 then we go to a fun bar, or maybe we get a karaoke room, and all of those things are just tight spaces with bad ventilation and strangers. It yeah. is funny. We've gone from months of covid to now it's summer like seemingly overnight because i've been in my (laughs) home forever and i've gone from seeing absolutely nobody for three months right is that how long it was two months three months i don't know eight years to now seeing all of los angeles like the protest it is like i've gone from zero to everybody and it is (laughs) this explosion (laughs) of energy that like it's 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 infectious when you're there you're like oh my god like I'm alive, like people are, we're, we're rising up, yeah, but it's kind of made me forget like, oh right, I still need to stay the fuck away from people and I can't go to places and mm. I got, ooh, I got a bone to pick when I, out there, when I'm out there protesting and I pick walk by bone. a restaurant, I walk by a restaurant and there's people brunching, oh. there are people brunching oh. while a march goes by, I'm like, <laughs> what, where are your priorities, ma'am? What the hell are you doing <laughs> sitting having a mimosa as clearly there's a revolution of oppressed people, you know, like standing up for themselves, other people standing up for them and helping to fight. And you're having an omelet. Yes. But ca- counterpoint. Eggs Benny. Sure. I, we all love the flavors <laughs> of brunch. Defund Eggs Benedict, honestly. <laughs> Eggs Benedict no, I, Arnold. I, I, I it yeah. was kind of crazy to to walk by and see people like enjoying their their brunch amidst this. It's just like, oh my god, how? how I, if I went to brunch and then suddenly there was, and I didn't know somehow, and then there was a protest on that street, I would be like ashamed of myself. I'd be like, I need to get a check and I need to leave and I need to join this march. How could I enjoy? a breakfast it just seems crazy to me yeah i think i would like to pitch abolishing white people cutely shortening words (laughs) (laughs) you coming after me and my ex benny super great idea bro we could do a little abolish little little abobo the abreve breve it is bad but i do it especially food oh oh, ex benny (laughs) yeah or like making up names for like other like what do you guys call celebrities again Celebos. Oh my but god! That's only because it's so, so stupid. Eugene, <laughs> that's not because we're white. It's because we're cool. Uh, I'm People totally with celebs. Eugene. We got a, a Bobo the Breves, bro. Yeah, it's because I'm. It's because I'm moving too quickly. I'm like a businessman. I don't have you, time you, to say this. Yeah, is I, that I re- it? look. I don't like it, but I respect your position. You ever oh with my your god, mom? that's the worst. That's the worst is when something's shortened to ish. Mm. <laughs> were you ever with your mom when you were like a kid and like sh- she started using abbreviations to be cooler and she's like, like what kind of what wine do you have? It's like, I'll take the Pinot Gris. Or just, oh, and, like, oh, and I was like, oh, please just order the wine with the full name. No, oh, this I'm is so embarrassed. Brosefs, we got a lot of feelings about this. We probably better get some sandos and dish. Right. So this is a cultural, cultural thing. 
It actually feels like a very SoCal thing, right? Like, isn't it? I don't know. I think it's pretty East Coast, too. I think it originates with Jack Black did it a lot. And I loved that oh, yeah. as a boy. And he was always oh. just like, what's th- what's your favorite position as a tenacious yeah. deer lyric? And I was like, uh-huh. I want to be like that guy. And so now, he was very precoce. Eugene, were you about to say that immigrants don't abbreviate words? No, because they're tr- already trying to grasp the English language correctly. <laughs> that's true. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, my right. mom's not going to be like Pinot Grigio. She's going to figure <laughs> out. She's trying to figure out how to pronounce Pinot Grigio. She's going to be like Pinot Grigio. <laughs> Grigo? Grigo? Grigio. So she ain't she ain't saying Grige. And right. I don't know if it's Jack Black. I I think I've heard it mainly from like people's like aunties and their moms and their grandmas. Mm. You know, even the way you guys call your 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 grandparents all like pet names and like shortened names. It's Are I think you coming it's a, after Grammy right now? <laughs> <laughs> like Grammy? I will say I grew up calling my dad Pa. Wow. Oh, <laughs> Everyone's like collectively your head tilted and I you like and that. Mm. Oh, pa. Well, well, you were from Use North it in Carolina. A sentence, right? Yeah. That was the most southern thing. Pa. No. Can I go outside in the yard? Pa. Oh, I left my toys in the creek. Yeah, you're literally not far <laughs> off. I would be like, "Hey, mom and pa." Like, "Mom and pa." I called my mom mom, but I called my dad pa. So I'd mom be like, pa. "Hey, pa, can you come in here for a second? Old I'm mom and pa shop." Pa. Yeah. I the stubbed most- <laughs> my toe. I think a lot of cultures do pet names for families now that I think of it, but I guess it's really the food shortening that bothers me the most. Yeah. Like people who say za instead of pizza. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's awful. Bad. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I, and that's always a white guy named I Chad. I only use it ironically, but do you ever do you ever <laughs> use it use a word like that ironically too much and then you're worried that it's yes. part of your lexicon. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, do you only exclusively have a personality that is loving things ironically until they're genuine? <laughs> Fast and Furious, cats. <laughs> like everything I love is an ironic <laughs> love that just becomes joke, genuine. And now yeah. you like it sincerely. If you're like a cool, a cool hip person who is like, I watch reality TV because it's so crazy and stupid. You like reality TV and you're no different than the other people yeah, Miles, who watch you it. Love you I love, love Grey's Anatomy. I love Grey's Anatomy. There's no it. irony to it. I love it. Yeah. What about though, Eugene, if I was going to go get a sandwich and I'd be like, yo, dog, I'm already failing. If I was yeah, like, you're yo, failing. yo, yo <laughs> do you want to go grab some Sammies? You'd be like, hell yeah. I mean, no, I've never grown up around people saying Sammies. Mm-hmm. I heard like as a kid, a white friend of mine said Sando. Sando. Yes. Yeah, I, but Sando. I want a sandwich. I don't know. Where, like, I think Sando is what like expensive restaurants offer when they're also selling sandwiches. <laughs> it's like we have like nice other food, but you can also get the turkey, the turkey bacon Sando. <laughs> oh, <laughs> now we're talking. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I'm torn about when it comes to reopening is mm. uh, sports games because I really like going to sports games, specifically NFL games. P.S. If you didn't see it, the NFL players released a very powerful video that then got the NFL to totally, completely change tax and admit that they were wrong about the whole kneeling during the anthem thing. But they awesome. have not apologized to Kaepernick yet. No, there's still a lot that's fucked up about it, but <laughs> yeah. I, just, I really <laughs> applaud uh, yes. the, the the players, the players. right? Yeah. The San Francisco 49ers released uh, a vid- like a image in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement, and people were like, "Oh, really? <laughs> really, 49ers? Really? Now you're behind The fucking Washington Redskins released a message Insane. against systemic racism. I'm like, mm, That's maybe up. we don't need your voice in yeah, this. Yeah, uh, until the Redskins change their name, the the like, NFL has a long way off. to go. But anyways, nice Sorry, to see on. at right. least some 
momentum. Anyway, so I love going to NFL games. And is that like, what if they have NFL games in this fall? How how am I going? I don't think I would feel comfortable going. Sports fans are renowned for being respectful of space, very orderly and calm. Oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, very you're quiet. Right, you're right. They don't scream. Yeah. So I think you're totally dope. As long as the Rams don't ever play the Philadelphia Eagles, I'll be good. I know that we were talking with my friend uh, Biwo about how Korean baseball, they've filled up all the stadiums with stuffed animals. It is unbelievable. So yes, ESPN bought the rights for Korean baseball to air here. And behind the dugout where the, the batter's at bat it's just filled with adorable stuffed animals to fill the crowd (laughs) and by the way that is what we should be doing forever it is so much better than watching some idiot like try and eat a hot dog and not squirt mustard over his shirt while i'm like i just want adorable bunny rabbits and bears behind my baseball players it was the most boring sport now it's the absolute best fuck yeah baseball what what (laughs) if that's how we solve the social distancing every sixth chair is just a guy and then it's another yeah. set of stuffed animals and then some other person. <laughs> Love that plan. I think that's how we have to do it. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to go to anything. But I do want to go see a movie. And that's like the one thing in my mind where I'm like, I know I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't. But also Tenet is a cinematic experience. And Christopher Nolan oh, movies deserve I to be know. seen on the big screen. They're yeah. starting with, I believe, 25% capacity. But people say it's really hard to clean the chairs. Like, I don't I don't know. It's I, it's that's the one in my mind where I, I'm like, I OK, if I'm going to roll the dice somewhere, I'm going to do it for that. Did you see the WHO did that thing where they were like, oh, if you're asymptomatic, you can't really spread the virus. And then two days later, they were like, we really shouldn't have said that. That was not, <laughs> that was not what we yeah, meant. I did see that. Uh, <laughs> huge bar bad. I mean, I guess my answer is that I genuinely am not going to do anything for uh, many months. Um, other than being outside, I, I will be the last and I'll let everyone else go see what happens. But I'm going to continue to practice social distancing because i believe it's the right thing to do for myself and for the community around me right and we have we don't even know what the effects of opening the uh country has been yeah like because that it's only been yeah. in the past like not week great or so. uh, yeah all the data that will be coming will be because of memorial day because it's such a lag but you're yeah. telling me zach that if there if you were like one of six people in a movie theater you're 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 dude i want to go i really want to go that is on par with going to the grocery store which still risky shouldn't do it every day i will say that's been a thrill is that because i'm immunosuppressed maggie has become the full-time grocery shopper of my household and i'm never going back (laughs) i'm gonna try and (laughs) ride this wave as long as i can where i'm like you know it's really not safe for me out there and you already had covid so you know you should go (laughs) it's great your antibodies your antibodies. Your antibodies, sweetie. It is amazing how at the beginning of coronavirus time, I was so nervous to go to the grocery store. And I was like putting on my mask. I was wearing like little gloves. I was taking all my clothes off and putting them in the wash. And then the other day, I just like went to the grocery store and bought coffee. And that was fine. And I didn't worry about it. And the new world has just taken over. And it's absolutely fine now. Well, at grocery stores are have been like, Charted is a like very, very low risk because you oh. typically as long as you don't, you know, as long as you're not just hanging out there, uh, <laughs> it's very unlikely for you to get gross, like pick up a grocery that somebody else has picked up who has it, you know, like it's just and then even then are you maybe you don't even get use that food in your house for the you know, <clears throat> for a day anyway. There's just it's apparently it's very difficult as long as you're washing your hands. 
-hmm. And Miles, I also think there's a sense of the first time you venture out in public with a mask and gloves, it's very traumatizing just because it is the first time. Yeah. And the second time's a little easier. The third time, even if you're taking the same level of precautions every single time, mentally, because you start to develop a routine, it feels easier. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I think the main thing is to not get uh, not slack off on precautions. Even if you're yeah, relaxed yeah. about it, you still need to be taking. Still carry that hand sanitizer. Yep. Still have your masks and rotate your masks and wash your masks. And we we just ordered a few more because now that we're like when we go to a protest, we're like, well, that mask is that's done. We don't wear that. Whereas if I'm just going like to the store, I might wear that same mask a couple days later. After like we kind of rotate them through, but right. anytime it goes to a crowded, crowded area where there's like that one's in done. the wash. Is it done because it has COVID on it? Like how does it, what what makes it done? It's done just, because we feel like it's been the most exposed. Like uh, you don't mean just, done, like, done. You just mean you wash it. it. No, I just mean it goes in the wash. Let's talk about the statues, the Confederate statues that are rightfully being taken down. There are a lot yeah. of uh, far right people who are very upset about it. Uh, there's nothing like more awesome than seeing a crowd topple a racist statue. I just think yeah. like, it's just such a symbol of fuck you. It's like, yeah, it's your pretty fired up sculpture. I, I get like, yeah, it feels like a victory, especially when they then drag it and drop it into the water. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, also a lot of us are from the South. So we are like getting to see it in our hometowns. Shout out to Jacksonville taking mm -hmm. down Confederate statues. I see you, Jayville. I just, I've never understood it. So I, I grew up in New York. I, I We don't have Confederate statues. I don't know how anyone ever tolerated it. What I've found interesting is prior to this moment, when we did some of our touring this summer, I met some very liberal people who had conflicting feelings about the statues, where they still thought it was, uh, and maybe Eugene, you may you probably know more about this than I do. You grew up around it, but they still thought like, well, we don't like it, but it is part of history. I think that argument is, is insanity, but I wonder if it is a point of pride, not pride for white supremacists is a point of pride. Is it a point of reverence to history or is it Stockholm syndrome of like, I've grown up with this statue and it's pretty ingrained culturally in the South and in our education that, you know, statehood, the idea of uh, what your state history is. I, mean, I took two to three years of Texas history. That's crazy. You know, there's so much about pride in your state, and that gets very convoluted and problematic once you get to the Civil War and mm -hmm. um, the Confederacy, that a lot of people, especially those who are in the majority, associate this feeling of both pride and nationalism with something that they feel like is culturally significant to them. And I think it's because there's a lot of things that in their lives are not very culturally significant. I mean, I think that when they find that there's something for them historical that they can latch onto, and it certainly doesn't help that teachers or powers or parents all sort of support that. Um, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna take emblems like statues as something that they that they they feel is part of the DNA of who they are, um, which is kind of ironic because most of those people also did not have rel like ancestors that went back to that time in the state. It's it's like it's not something you should be proud of i like zach growing up there would be kids or like you would see teenagers in high school who would drive like you know a big like tricked out truck with like confederate flags on the back it's like that was a common occurrence in jacksonville you would just see every so often there'd be some like you know 
usually a large truck, usually something that was jacked up. The best is when you see a Confederate flag and an American flag next to each other and you go, oh, oh, you don't understand history, do you? (laughs) (laughs) They they were enemies, actually. That's when it comes down to this dialogue about anti-racism being taught because, Mm. you know, it's so easy for these families and these schools and these groups of friends when you're young to ingrain themselves in this um, mythos, this falsehood that the Confederacy or whatever the South was representing uh, pre-Civil War was something to be celebrated. Like it completely erases any any even echo of how how horribly institutionalized uh, the black experience became after slavery. And because that's like never touched upon when people discuss the Confederacy in their households or in their in our curriculums, that's how these kids and that's how these people start getting this idea that it's okay. And then the only time they're confronted about it is when something like uh, what's happening now is uh, is publicized and amplified. But then they're just, you know, essentially like that is it, it, the core of what the issue is, is that so many people, if you are not taught to be anti-racist, you will adapt white supremacy in your mind and heart in ways that you don't realize. And I think although a lot of the kids I was around who drove trucks with the Confederate flags, I wouldn't say they were actively racist to anyone, although I saw a lot of it. Um, <laughs> they they were inevitably going to adapt a racist standpoint because there was never any sort of context with which they were exercising their whiteness in regards to other people in this country, specifically black Americans. So I think it's just a, it's a horrendous thing that just needs to be addressed right from the get-go like right when you're raising your kid right when you step in schools and i think that a lot of history textbooks are going to have to be revised pretty 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 uh heavily heavily to um start reflecting less white centricism in in our education one thing i was thinking about with school this is even just on a small scale the way so you you did three years on texas texas history i was talking Mm -hmm. to my sister we didn't learn about malcolm x at all you know, you learn about the civil rights movement and he was the scary bad guy is kind of what I had this impression of. of like, oh, like Martin Luther King was good. And then Malcolm X had some good ideas, but he was scary. <laughs> Their mm. Black Panther's still in prison now. And it wasn't until I was older where I was like, wait a second. I what he's saying doesn't sound crazy at all. And and I reflect on even in my liberal education, what the, the story of the civil rights was, which was uh, racism was there. Then the civil rights movement came along. We fixed it. Uh, but then Martin Luther King died. But we fixed it. And that's like, yeah. I think we've, we've uh, people have been born into this false narrative that we took care of the problem, that it ended. That's so true. That, that's exactly what they taught us in school was there, that it, there's this artificial endpoint of the civil rights movement in the 60s. And it was like. And the, then we got disco. Know, the, the end. <laughs> what? Yeah. And then we got disco. Everything's happy. <laughs> Yeah, which I think really can lead you to not then actively question and attempt to overcome the things that are, you know, still happening and have been since the 60s. Creating an endpoint makes you stop fighting. And I think that was dangerous for us to have as kids. And makes it so easy 
for some of these young white kids to be like, why are we always talking about race? Why does it have to be about race? Because for them, it's not a reality that they're confronted with. And in fact, the narrative that they've been fed is that we already fought that fight. We already took care of it. So now you're just whining. And that could not be further from the truth. But this includes all of y'all to an extent, right? Like, I think that that's why quite a bit of even white liberals are being uh, forced to recognize the spaces in which they've been taught that even like diversity initiatives are very problematic Mm -hmm. you know it's like really strange like think about even in your school if you had diversity uh classes or diversity fair remember that shit it's also like this weird thing where people have experienced this feeling of we are all one world let's hold hands let's take a picture of ourselves with two different skin tones Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. la-di-da that's the band-aid and it's so interesting god i want to fucking tweet so many things that it's hard because i remember i grew up always being accused of being a very angry person of color all the way up until honestly y'all met me a buzzfeed where everyone was just like you know you should calm that down because we should like you know make that more appealing but i remember in high school we had something called diversity club right and they put on a diversity show every year now it was predominantly <laughs> black it was predominantly black because honestly that that was the best stuff to to show but we had like a few asians in the school And I remember the Asians and the Latinos and Hispanics, we all sort of uh, went up to the principal and said, can we create different organizations within the school to represent different points of view within this very like broad diversity spectrum? And I remember he looked right at us, the Asians, and said, Asian Americans didn't contribute anything to American society, so y'all can't have a club. And then I remember thinking that we said, because a lot of my black friends were also like, but then if they didn't contribute anything, you also are not letting us have our own club. Like, is this the perspective that by saying diversity, by saying I have XYZ represented through these initiatives that I don't have to specifically address ways that they have been um, essentially uh, pushed down by the system and also ways that they've contributed to it, to society. And I think that every single place I've been in, in my school, in my college, at BuzzFeed, at the workplaces I've been in, uh, they essentially like had this idea that because we can like put a label on something that says diverse, uh, the problem no longer exists. You know, you you tell your kid once like, oh, we're all the same. Like, you know, we all bleed the same, but we're different colors. Then your kids like suddenly suddenly understands the plights of other other cultures. It's so strange because I feel like I often say that when I grew when I grew up, the racism was so prevalent and so awful uh, between groups, especially from my white peers. But then I, when I went to LA and I went and entered Hollywood and even like the most liberal circles, like white gay circles, don't even get me started. The racism was so like latent, but yet, and yet denied like the, the denial that racism was even, even existed. Um, I had like white gay friends who would say the N word when they were singing songs. And I would tell them you can't do that. And they would say, but, you know, I'm not racist and you got to think about that. Like we're past that point. It's so interesting how, however, and I'm not putting this onus on y'all in terms of what y'all experienced, but I think whatever that was in your childhoods that said, like, here's the, here's the, the one like lesson I'm going to teach you about other people, uh, other cultures. And just so you know, then after you learn this, we're all the same. I think that has been so so detrimental to so many young white Americans mentalities about 
what diversity actually means. Mm-hmm. And it certainly has not helped uh, the cases of other people of color because as an Asian American, at the very least, this the model minority comparison point then becomes very a huge issue where it's like we can't even distinguish other people of color. So then when you want us to, we put them we pit them against each other in comparison points, you know, because that's like exactly what white supremacy is in the end. It's this idea that by collectively shoveling everyone else into one broad category, you can you can treat them like animals. You can zoo them up. You can categorize them and say like, well, if Asians do this, then black people shouldn't do this. But if they all do this, then I get them, you know? It makes me think of the uh, the accidental damage of, oh, I don't see color. Uh, I think people have used that for years of this race. way of, oh, yeah, sorry, I don't see race uh, as a way to say, I, I'm not racist, but what it actually means is I refuse to see both the differences that we should celebrate and the rich culture <laughs> that different people have, as well as I'm going to ignore racism. If you're saying I don't see race, you are blind to what is a reality because most people of color don't have the choice to not be uh, engaging with their race on a daily basis. Yeah, it's tough because that was the that was the mantra a lot of uh, progressives took our age, like millennials. We were taught that you know we were taught to say I don't see color. It was. Pretty much like the response to racism was for like white teachers and parents to say, oh, don't point out that your friend's Asian. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, you you need to say that it's my friend who has the red shirt. <laughs> yeah. You know, do you remember people saying like, oh, don't say right, my black friend right. don't or yeah. my Korean friend. You say, oh, he's wearing the floral shirt. Yeah. And I remember thinking back then like, oh, yeah, that solves everything, doesn't it? No, you're just <laughs> thinking about how Asian I am, but that, you're just outwardly saying trying to come up nothing with about else. how I look. That's which in itself. Yeah. Yeah, there's just so many things that we have tried to put band-aids over Mm -hmm. institutionalized racism in society, and they have proven to not work. So I think the great part about this moment is that- By the way, that was the conversation this week on Twitter, right? Which is, Mm -hmm. it's okay to admit that you were wrong. Mm -hmm. It's We're wrong all the time. And and as society, we were wrong. I am sure that the I don't see color had the purest of intentions. It was probably some uh, fucking first grade art teacher- named Deborah, who was trying to prove that she wasn't racist. And and even if it meant, well, it didn't work. It, it had these problems. And now we can look back and say, we were wrong. We're listening. What can we do that is better? Um, and just in general, like if you were, if you have an opinion about what the police means to you, it's okay to challenge your views. The phrase, I don't see race or I don't see color, honestly sounds like a white supremacist slogan. Yeah. <laughs> no, right? Very like, much so. Doesn't it? Like it almost sounds like I don't acknowledge that. Right. Like that's how like it yeah. even though I know that was not how it was used. Mm-hmm. If you were like just read that in a textbook and in a different context, you'd be like, Oh wow, what a racist statement. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's so it's so close to the the very valid criticisms of the phrase all lives matter. It blanket statements everyone in an effort to uh delegitimize individual experience and right. oppressions. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're totally right. Totally. And so it's very strange that uh, when we were growing up and I, I'm, I'm sure there are still very like, uh, strong holdings of liberal pockets that still hold this true in terms of how yeah. they try to teach. I think it's yeah. changing now, which is great. I think this conversation would be great for like, you know, Ned, especially like parents, his age are going to be bringing up their kids in a much more realized conversation about race. But mm-hmm. man, we were given a really short in the stick as, as parents who were really trying their best to say like, 
Oh, yeah. Um, slavery's bad. Uh, be nice to your friends who are darker than you, but don't ever talk about it because it doesn't matter anymore. It's not, an, don't yeah. make it, it's not an issue. If you make it an issue, then it becomes an issue. It's not your black friend, it's your friend in the floral shirt. Like, I think that's why the last couple of weeks have been super powerful for, uh, you know, liberals to uh, be more supportive than they were before because if you are just drawing a binary distinction between like, well, those other white people are racist, but I'm not racist, completely ignores the fact that there are so many things in society that are both fueling your privilege and also marginalizing the black community. Yeah, I mean, we've all benefited from it. And I think that's why a lot of us are especially motivated to try to help more than ever, because we are all guilty of not having helped enough before. Um, perhaps at all before. So uh, I'd certainly that's put a lit a fire under my ass to to correct uh, my past errors and not being as supportive as I possibly can to those uh, people. I do want to bring it back to one light, funny moment, and, and it's about the statues. There's one statue uh, in Tennessee of a... Uh, I can't, his, name, <laughs> his name is Nathan Bedward, Bedford Forrest... Uh, you know, he's he's a, basically an old racist dude. But I want you to look at this guy. Yeah, describe you're just it. listening. Well, he looks like a robot from Futurama. <laughs> what? <laughs> and he this is a real statue, and I've had a lot of seen a lot of people tweeting, tear all of them down but this one, because this one's so funny, it basically <laughs> tears itself down. Um, but you should Google it so you can look at him, and I'm gonna show him here on this. But look at this. Oh my god. Oh wow. Wow. He's on a golden horse, and he literally looks like a Futurama robot. He looks horrifying. Oh, he looks God. like the the six fingered man from Princess Bride. It looks awful, and this is what the the position of the it is too. It's just <laughs> such a crazy. It's just such a crazy statue, and it's been in Tennessee for like forever, and it's Jesus. so funny, and it's awful. <laughs> But it's funny looking, and at least you know yeah. some of the, you know. At least they know that you know they. I'm hoping that that was like a liberal artist, you know. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, I'm gonna make this fucking ugly as shit, and they're gonna love it. Well, an ongoing conversation that we're gonna be having, uh, that I hope you're having in your lives. This isn't going away, uh, nor should it, because there's a lot to to root out here. But in the meantime. If you're trying to root out systemic racism or just going about living your life, you might need some advice, dare I say some advice, that'll go for Miles with your host, Miles Bonsignore. Here we go, his arm's up. Hit us, baby. It's advice that'll go for Miles. Tune into your radio station. It's advice that'll go for Miles. Everyone get ready, Miles Station. We've lost Ned. Yeah, he's always takes this moment. Break, I guess. We, we all have to pee uh, at this point normally. And, you know, there is like a 45 second musical interlude, and then normally Miles just tells us we need to use a certain kind of soap. What the fuck's up, Miles Nation? Defund the police, bitch. <laughs> have you ever wanted to have a sweet little tasty snack? Do you want to have some ice cream? Bum, bum, bum. Do you want to have some ice cream? Do you want it to be good?
Do you want it to be perfect little treat that you have while you're living sitting in your bed? We've, we've done ice cream several times at this point. That was, that was like. too much use of someone else's copyright, did Miles. the Klondike bar. That's what it was. What do you got, Miles? Temper your ice cream, you stupid bitch. <laughs> what? Temper it? Ice cream is hard when it comes out of the fridge. Freezer. And you're going to want to <laughs> leave it on the counter for a two-minute timer because uh, the ice cream is going to be easier to scoop because guess why your worst ones. <laughs> you're a stupid <laughs> little so you're, you're a stupid little binge and, and in addition, the advice is leave your ice cream on the counter for a little bit before, before you scoop it, you scoop it uh, and, Jesus and as an added bonus leave it on the counter for three minutes if you can believe that but <laughs> If you're eating ice cream and you're letting it temper, buy Ben and motherfucking Jerry's, you stupid binge. Because they stand it up against white supremacist pieces of the shit. And that leads me to my final point, you stinky binge. That you're going to want to make sure that you vote with your dollar. And buy from organizations that stand up against white supremacy and specifically black owned businesses. Ben and Jerry's, I don't believe it's black owned, but they're standing up against white supremacy and I want to do the ice cream bit. Uh, but make sure <laughs> that you're buying from places that don't fucking donate to Trump, like Home Depot. Fuck them. Uh, buy from Lowe's. It's the same shit. And it's uh, also they have wood there. Miles, why didn't you just say that to begin with? Yeah, well, the yeah, that second the, part the was way was better garbage. than fantastic. <laughs> yeah, <'cause> ice cream <laughs> on the exactly the same store. Do but they you want to have some ice cream? <laughs> okay. No, back to the copyright issue. <laughs> I'm sure uh, this actually is going to be a big conversation in the coming week because uh, Juneteenth is coming up next Friday, uh, mm. and people are pushing for that to be a day of of economic pause, uh, oh. kind of protesting with your dollar. Which I can't believe that's not an official holiday. Yeah. Insane. Insane. It's unbelievable. On, on the list of things that we should be outraged about right now, there were uh, there was primaries yesterday in Georgia, among other places. Oh. We have rampant voter suppression going across yeah. this country. Like we're ba this country is based on a few things, right? Uh, democracy, voting, freedom of speech. In the last two weeks, <sighs> we have seen both of those taken away. People unable to vote. Uh, people having curfews enforced on them i mean this is fucking crazy so i know that a lot of you are like ah can't we stop talking about politics politics is life this is this is not just like oh where should we be spending our budget this affects how people live and breathe so mm -hmm. this shit is could not possibly be more important there we go. yeah here we go miles I, I got something peppy to get back to your ice cream bit oh some advice if you like ice cream, mm. buy an ice cream scoop. That was my advice already, Ned. I already did that shit. You see, it's because you leave the room when I get <laughs> advice, Stinky well. bench. You stinky bench? <laughs> Go off, Miles. Go off, Miles. Go, Go off, off, Queen. Hi, Wes. <laughs>
Virus. <laughs> Go off, Miles. Go, Go off, off, Miles. Podcast Go Daddy. Yes. Off. You're right. It, That's Miles. probably why it was in my head. Anyways. Thanks for watching. Don't forget to like and subscribe and leave a comment down below. Give us that five stars. We've got merch. We've been uh, trying to donate some of the proceeds of our channel to the Black Lives Matter movement. Stay safe out there. Keep protesting. Keith, hit us with the official tripod theme song. Go to your local park, and if you see a racist thing, you're totally allowed to destroy that racist thing. It's the tripod. Until next time, stay beautiful. <laughs>